This week we're winding down this section of Isaiah. Um, we are going to be done with it next week if Al does the complete chapter. And the next section is really exciting because we're going to see a lot of verses, a lot of chapters that cover passages that talk about Jesus coming as our, our as a servant, basically his first coming on earth. And then the second set that finished the book talk about him as conqueror. So today's gonna to be interesting. We are looking at chapter 36 and it's going to have none of Isaiah's songs in it. We won't be looking at any songs that called for obedience, enlisted God's prophecy. Today, we are looking at a history lesson. And of course, since God is teaching us through Isaiah, this is going to be a very rich passage. One thing to note, too, it didn't dawn on me till actually even this morning is is where is Isaiah in this chapter? Usually we see him involved in some way, some part, but no doubt, as we've seen in other, in other um, prophets, he is no doubt in prayer, receiving messages about what's going on and just waiting to see what happened. And we will see some of those messages next week. So the sections we're going to cover today, it's real easy. They're just two. Verses 1 through 10, we're going to cover, and I intentionally titled this. I was first thinking of just leaving it, there is no salvation in faith, but I realized, no, that's probably not good. So according to Assyria, according to Assyria, there is no salvation in faith. And then 11 through 22, 11 through 22 will be make peace or else make peace or else so let's go over 36 well in fact let me pray first dear Jesus we just want to thank you so much for this time that we can come and just show our love to you open your word and and see the message that you have for us concerning you and your power and your might we just thank you that we belong to you and we love you so much and we love you for this book of the Bible. What a powerful, rich, deep book. Just open our hearts and minds today, quiet our souls, help us just to drink in what you have for us today. Amen. So it says here, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh. I like that word. I already warned my wife I'm going to be saying it a lot. The Rabshakeh from Lachish. I, I can't pronounce Lachish the way Hebrew does, so just that's my apology right there. So the Rabshakeh came to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army 
and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, are you trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it? Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say, we trust in the Lord our God, is he not... Is he not he whose high places and high and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. Come now, make your wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses. If you are able on your part to set riders on them, how then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants. When you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen, moreover, it is without the Lord, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Sebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood up, called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria, for he will not, for he will not be able to deliver you. I mean, sorry. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree, and each of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath, Arpad? Where are the gods of Sivarim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all these gods of these lands had delivered their lands 
out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. But they were silent and answered him not, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shedna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. So let's jump right in, verses 1 through 10. According to Assyria, there is no salvation in faith. So we see verse 1 starts off with, In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So today and next week, we're going to look at what took place during this 14th year of King Hezekiah. And just several months ago, we saw he just took over power. So where is all this time gone with him? The good thing is, is we can see what his reign was like by looking at other resources. So in 2 Kings 18, we find out that he became king at age 25. Age 25, he's king over Judah. He reigned 25 years. His mother's name was Abi. Abby. For all you young Frankenstein fans, I doubt her middle name was Normal. I just want to put that out there. And whereas King Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, we read, did evil in the eyes of God, Hezekiah, at this young age, did right in his eyes. So he removed all the high places and all the idols in the land. Second Chronicles 29 tells us that, and this is while both painful and also glad to think that God's people had done this, he opened and then had to repair the doors of the temple, probably making sure they could reopen and stay open. He assembled all the priests and the Levites, and he had them consecrate themselves, and they had to clean the temple in preparation for, obviously something they hadn't had in a while, at least 16 years, while Ahaz reigned, they were going to have temple service. So the people that God had established for himself, that he gave them this land, had failed to continue to look upward towards him. Uh, More instead, they sought what around them was doing what the world was living, they wanted to live. So they failed to obey. They didn't understand his commands because they failed to know them. They failed to follow them. And now they're wondering why everything is falling apart. And it got so bad that when Ahaz got beaten by Samaria, instead of looking to God like his forefathers did, like even Joshua did when Achan stole something and they lost in battle. Joshua turned to the God and said, show us why we lost. Ahaz didn't. Ahaz started worshiping the Sumerian gods, hoping they would benefit him. 
Now, when the priests and the Levites finally got this temple under Hezekiah ready for worship, 2 Chronicles 29, 20 tells us the leader of the pack that rose up early in the morning to go sacrifice animals was indeed Hezekiah. He didn't just say what he meant, he led the way. And in 2 Chronicles 30, we find out that he actually brought Passover back. It hadn't been celebrated again in probably roughly 16 years. And God commanded them in Exodus 12 to do this. Remember, it's one of the feasts he told them. The thing is, Hezekiah not only celebrated Passover that first time, he extended it another week. Another week. In fact, he sent letters out to all the fortified cities, all the other settlements. He sent word out saying, you will obey Passover in obedience to God. So that got me wondering. Here's an interesting note. He did that. He let them all know, you must do this. And now we see Assyria has come and wiped out, surely wiped out, the unfortified cities. And now the fortified, protected cities are wiped out also. So it's got me wondering. I wonder if these cities did not heed Hezekiah's commands and keep Passover again? Because right now there's nothing left to them. They're wiped out. Because he told them in verse 8, Do not be stiff-necked like your fathers were, but yield to God and obey. And then he added that by doing so, God may relent and be merciful to us. Powerful words, because in a few short years, what happened? They've been wiped out by the Syrian. So another picture we have of Hezekiah's face is in 2 Chronicles 32. 2 Chronicles 32. Now the Assyrians right now are moving through the land of Judah, wiping everybody out. And they're approaching Jerusalem. Hezekiah tells the people in verses 7 and 8, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more of us, more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah the king. So what a powerful statement we hear there that this king is telling him, hey, look, It's going to get scary. You're going to see us surrounded by a horde of invaders. But they're just men. They're just men. And God is where the salvation lies. Amazing. So verse 2. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, 
the son of Hilkiah, it was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Esau, the recorder. Do you recognize this scene? I know we have to go back a few chapters, a lot of chapters. Do you recognize this? We saw this all the way back in chapter 7, right? Right? The northern kingdom was threatening. They were threatening. They wanted to come and, and take over Jerusalem so they could get up a big enough army and go out and face Assyria then. Isaiah meets Ahaz the king. That's where we first learned that Isaiah must have been of a really noble rank because he could just show up in front of the king and not get taken out. So there he is. He tell Ahaz, he tell Ahaz don't worry. God tells you, as God is telling you right now, ask for something. Limitless. Ask for it. As high as the heavens are, all the way down to Sheol. Ask and it's yours. Ahaz, if you remember, already made an alliance with Assyria. So he cops out. He cops out and says, I don't want to put the Lord to the test. Here we are, all this time later, all this time later, here we are. And the unbelief that Ahaz had demonstrated has come back full face. And now we see the Assyrian commander, the Rabshakeh, is here at this spot and he's giving his speech of terror. And uh, Rabshakeh said to them, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it, guys. I love that. Said to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words and strategy are power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting Egypt, that broken reed of his staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? The Rabshakeh here is giving us a four-part speech in an attempt to unnerve the people inside the walls and win this war by intimidation. The first one, he said, relying on Egypt will provide no hope. That's his first. Second, he's confused, but second, he thinks that trusting in God provides no hope because Hezekiah had removed the places to worship God. Very confused. And then he points out in number three, there is not enough manpower in Jerusalem to defeat even the weakest of the Rabshakeh's regiments. 
And then number four, he tells them he is on mission there because he was sent from God. These four parts are based on the king of Assyria who was out on his tour of conquest to wipe out all manner of rebellion that took place when he took the throne and he wants to show his strength. But the thing is, Sennacherib, the king, must have not considered Jerusalem even a threat. He figured, okay, they will fall, no problem. The main reason, he didn't go. He stayed in Lachish. Um, he did, though. He did, though, sent his commander-in-chief. That's what Rob Shekha means. So he sent the highest military man he had, and he sent a very large contingent of warriors to perform the task of wiping them out. Probably seeing that the folks would see the size of army that would came, and they knew all the stories of what had taken place, they would just give up, open the doors, and be taken. They also are demonstrating here that they have no respect for Hezekiah and his authority. And the reason I say that, they don't address him for his title. They call him by his name. And if they really wanted to get at him, they might call him something like Sleepy Hezekiah. But they didn't do it. They showed no respect for his name. And in verse 5, the Rabshakeh says, Hezekiah's rebellion is empty. Empty because he has nothing to back it up. No might. No well thought out plan. He's got nothing in place for them to stand up against the mighty Assyrians. And why does he believe that? Because these guys are on a huge winning streak. They are taking everybody down. And so this speech, though, from the Rabshakeh is another prophecy that we see from God that came true. Now, way back, I got to talk to you about that envoy that left Jerusalem and went and secured an alliance with Egypt, right? And we picked up the story in 28. They were worshiping one of Egypt's gods with them, the goddess of death, Mut, right? And we see Isaiah told them in verse 11, hey, if you do not listen to God, and you're not listening to God, a people of a foreign tongue is going to come talk to you for God. And right now, they're hearing that foreign tongue. But the four words God wants them to hear through this to match the Rav Shekha's four-part speech are, I want you to have confidence, rely, have trust, and then know my power. And in verse 6, we see that Egypt was out of the picture. They had lost an earlier battle. And we read and we went over in Isaiah that the, that looks like a doll. So little. That the Assyrians had marched out the defeated 
not only Egyptians, but if you remember we said at this time Cush, the land of Cush had a, the, um, the Pharaoh. So this is a combined nation and they were defeated and marched away to the land of the king of Assyria's choice, naked and, and just marching. So there's no way, and Assyria had the confidence, there's no way Egypt was showing up to do anything. And now in verse 7, we see why the word pagan is associated with this nation. For they equate the spots to worship and now under Hezekiah, the lack of spots to worship as a diminishing religion. Hezekiah had taken away the spots, the high, the high places, the altars, the secret places that people used to worship these false gods. And the Assyrians thought, okay, he has removed the ability for these people to worship God. And it's easy to understand why could the Assyrians had so many gods in their mind, you didn't want to upset any single one of them. And then we see in verse 7 is walking us through one of the first great playground taunts, right? Here is the first one that we see here. It's basically saying, I dare you. And I dare you to fight. The Rav the is saying, you can't fight. There's no way you can fight us. So give up this faith in God, and I can give you an easy way out. So in verses 8 and 9, the Rav goes into what I call full trash talking here, right? Because when I'm reading this, it sounds very reminiscent, very reminiscent, of what Goliath did to Saul's army. The Rob Sheck is saying, hey, you know what? And it's got to be the taunting voice. It's got to be. I can spot you 2,000 horses if you can even place riders on them. And if you can, what can you do? He also threw in his zinger that no doubt God wanted them to hear. He said, you, you people, you can't do this you trusted Egypt for horses and chariots. Basically saying they had ignored Isaiah's message and now they are in a hopeless situation and the alliance they had made by ignoring Isaiah's message and they trusted in has failed. And in verse 10 we have more trash talking intended to scare the people into surrender. This man who didn't even understand how to worship God is claiming that God spoke to him and told him, I am to go up and destroy them. So in verses 8 through 10, it's the second playground challenge. Here the Rav is basically saying, I double dog dare you. Waiting to see how the people of God will respond to this large force outside their wall. Because you know, the Assyrians had to believe. They truly had to believe that Hezekiah only had two options, right? Fight or give up. 
That's all he believed they had. So we can take that. So when we're facing, we're facing a challenging, a very intimidating challenging in our own faith. This account of a large army, a large army of people surrounding the people of God, either wanting to take their life or taking them as a captive and marching them off to another land. I'm sorry, but it sounds a lot more challenging than anything that we could face right now. And we are going to, though, face challenges. It's real. We're going to face challenges to our faith. So I want to make sure we realize and remember these four answers God wants us to know to answer the four parts of the Rabshakeh speech. He wants us to have confidence in him, confidence in God. He wants us to rely on his power, trust in his word, trust in his word, and under his power, know, know that it is a true and lasting power that only comes from God. Now the second part, 11 through 22. Make peace or else. In 11 and 12 it says, Then Eliakim, Sebna, and Joeth said to the Rebshekah, Please speak to your servants in Aramatic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. So in another attempt at intimidation, here the Rabshakeh is speaking so everyone would hear and understand him. He's explaining to them, hey, you know what? If you don't give up, there's going to be a long siege. And this is not unheard of, where it'd be years. And no supplies will be coming in. And all the people inside the walls will soon become so desperate that they will see their own waste as nourishment. And then in verse 13 through 20, we see where Assyria displays their arrogance by stating basically that God has no power to save him. He continues to lie in this speech, and his intent is of obtaining surrender by that fear and intimidation. So again, we see in 13 to 20, there is no respect for Hezekiah. He's not mentioned as king, but only by his first name. And it's intentional and it's to downplay his authority and upplay the king of Assyria's authority. He is telling in the people in their, in their, within their hearing that everything Isaiah has been telling them about God being the only one for them to seek, trust, and obey is a lie. And this earthly king of Assyria is the real power. 
Now in verse 15, he makes the mistake. You know, he's messing with Hezekiah for the most part. Now he turns his intimidation by calling out God, the creator of the universe, and saying that he has no power, he is unable to deliver his people as he promised. And this is that age-old thing that we see. Sometimes you can believe your own hype to your own detriment. Here's the example. What the Arab Shekhar did is the example of that. And for whatever reason, it seems the Assyrians wanted to use this verbal insult instead of going into battle. They might have wanted to hurry up and get these massacres over with and get back home since they had left their homeland and Babylon might come in and reattack while the numbers were away from Nineveh. Or they might have felt that, you know what, with our numbers, words alone will get this job done. It will suffice, and since we have a large crowd out front, Jerusalem will see they have no chance. And I'm sure they employed this because I'm sure it worked in other cities. The real reason, the real reason, and we will see it next week especially, that they didn't attack and they only used words is it was in God's plan. And God said the Assyrians would not even shoot an arrow at the city, much less enter it. There's the real reason. Now the terms of surrender the Rob Shekha listed sounded pretty good, right? I mean, full peace at home, time to get your affairs in order, then you're going to you know, branch out and, and they're going to take you away to a beautiful, fertile place. You might go up to the Rab Sheka and say, hey, is there any brochures of where we're going? I want to be able to pick a spot out that I can raise my family. And, and no. Although the people at this time didn't have access to news channels, they couldn't watch First Eye accounts on, on YouTube. They did have something else, though. They had real-life reports from probably refugees that came flooding into the area and told them exactly what was happening during this reign of terror. So people coming in seeking protection would tell them exactly what they were told and exactly what reality was. Reality was the weak, the people they considered to have no value were taken out. The ones that did have value were marched off to another land. They had done that with the Northern Kingdom. If you remember, they took everybody out and in its place, they moved to the new people they had conquered. So while it may have sounded tempting, especially when you're faced down by however many hundred thousands of, of troops surrounding you, you know, the alternative of, of uh, being able to eat your own produce for a while instead of your waste sounded good, but in fact, I really believe they all knew it wasn't true. 
In 18 through 21, he begins to, the Rabshakeh begins to mock God, mock him. He begins to blaspheme God. He equates God to the man-made small letter G gods of other lands. He associates him with Samaria and points out the G. God didn't deliver Samaria. He won't deliver Jerusalem. So he's showing people that the gods of these lands have not delivered the land out of his master's home. And God here would be no different. You know, this, this right here, this is the triple dog dare. He triple dog dared God. And he basically is saying that to God. Not a smart idea. And I doubt it's going to, well, I know, I know it's not going to end well. I read ahead. It's not going to end well for the Assyrians. And again, this reminded me of Goliath. But knowing where we're going to see the faith in the response to Goliath's taunting. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, we saw this very young man who was not in the army, this young man named David, showing his faith in God by, by knowing he could even take out Goliath. And he said that, basically said that he could do it because Goliath and the Philistines were mocking God. And we know how well it ended for Goliath. So now we see in verse 21 that we find out that Hezekiah had told his people not to answer the Rabshakeh, even though they did earlier an attempt to get him to stop speaking where everyone could understand what he was saying. And so the speech ends here that we know of. And we're going to leave this story and as we're leaving it, the word is coming into Hezekiah in this visual scene. If, we can, if you stop and look at this, you have his top leaders entering into his throne room. Their clothes are torn and they're upset. The intimidation is, is set in. And they're sharing with him all the Assyrian commander has told them. Next week, Next week, we get to see the king's response, and more importantly, we get to see how God responds to the Rabshakeh and Sennacherib. And believe it or not, we need these reminders in our own life. We need to learn them, and so when the Rabshakehs in our own life start telling us that God is not all-powerful, he cannot deliver. Um, he's no different than other small G gods. It's someone that we can just pull off the shelf at a time of crisis, rub it like a genie in the bottle, and have God help us, that we can say no, no. We know who he is in our life. In those, in those times, our foundation must be rock solid in the confidence in God. 
believing in his word, not confidence in ourselves, or believing in the abilities of us or others. Only confidence in God, relying on God, knowing that his word is true and the Bible is accurate. Trust that God, who knew us before time began, will be faithful to complete the work in us. And the power of God as the creator and sovereign ruler to deliver his people and complete his work with the world. So stay tuned because next week is really, really cool. And feel free to read ahead. And in this next section, is one of my favorite sections on God and his power. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for just this look at you. Look at your power, your ability to control the situation even when we may become weak in the knees, our hands may shake, we may lose confidence, by being intimidated we can just look to you and know that you're not we can rely on you and your power thank you for this story thank you for the results we get to see next week and just be with us this week help us to delve into this and really look at your power and then really think about it and talk to you about it and understand everything you've done for us. Amen.